Hello and welcome to another episode of The Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. And today we have another interview. I'm here with uh, Thomas, Thomas Evans. Hey, Thomas, thank you for uh, accepting my invitation. Yeah, no worries. Glad to be here. So we were just chatting uh, off the record here on the reason why we connected on Twitter. And uh, I basically tweeted uh, a tweet, tweeted a tweet saying that uh, I thought that after six, if after six months you are not making enough money to cover your cost or like you're not making enough money from your projects, then you should just quit and try something new. And uh, Thomas found me and said, no, actually, uh, we've been building email octopus for a long time. And that's definitely not true because it took us a while to reach profitability. And now we are a big team and we are living from it. So today we'll be speaking about Thomas' um, bootstrapping career and uh, also about uh, email octopus. Speak a little bit about yourself, like who is Thomas and uh, a little bit about your uh, background. Yeah, I am now currently working on Email Octopus, but um, I've not been in tech my whole whole life. Um, when I was um, 16, I went across to India uh, to learn how to make cricket bats. Um, uh, cricket bats are basically a, kind of like a tennis racket or something that you use for playing the sport of cricket. Um, so I was obsessed <laughs> That's random. with... Yeah, I was obsessed with sport as a, as a young child. Um, and more importantly, was obsessed with sports equipment. So football boots, um, cricket bats, tennis rackets. I spent a lot of time researching the kind of the, the equipment that went into sports. So rather than going the traditional route, which my parents wanted to push me down, which was, you know, going and studying sports science, trying to get a job with Nike when I was, you know, 25 or whatever, um, I decided actually the best place to, to do this or the best way to do this was to, to actually go to India, um, where about 90% of the world's cricket bats are made. Um, so I went off to India um, as a as a 16-year-old. I turned up on a, on a, on a factory doorstep um, and basically said, can I, can I spend some time here with you? And thankfully, you know, I had a, a very welcoming factory owner and I spent three months out in India um, just learning how the trade worked. So from working directly with the factories, you kind of could understand how the margins worked, how the product was made, um, how you, the import-export process worked, um, and actually understand what goes into to a business that makes cricket bats and sells them. But wait, you just, as a 16 years old, you just yep. go there and you yep. don't have anything scheduled. You just... Or you you had agreed yeah. upon like with so with a, uh, yeah so owner. I'd never met this I'd never met, met this gentleman um, but I had agreed uh, before I went um, I don't think my parents would have let me go otherwise that I was allowed to yeah you know I had sent an email to a few factory owners out there um, in a place called Meerut which is it's about eighty kilometers um, north of Delhi it's where mm -hmm. almost all all the world's cricket bats are made uh, okay. and I said can I can I turn up on uh, and and help you out and I, and I, a factory said yes and I probably not expecting me to turn up uh, and then I did um, and this was uh, yeah back when I was 16. Um, how did your parents allow you to do that? My, my parents would never allow this like yeah you know <laughs> going to India because it's such a different country you know and like 
as a miner going there to a factory? Like, what yeah. would they do it? I mean, my, my parents, I think, know me as a person. They know I wouldn't take any stupid risks. Um, and, you know, as long as I funded the trip myself and or, or sorted it out. And I had some emergency contact numbers in India to um, to get in contact. My dad's, uh, his company he was working for at the time had an Indian office. So I mm. had some emergency contacts kind of as a backup should I need. Um, yeah. But other than that, it, yeah, they were they were supportive of it, and they said, "Yeah, sure, you know, this is what you want to do." Um, I'd been obsessed, as I said, with sports equipment for a long time, and they knew that. So off I went um, yeah. uh, and spent some time out there. Spent three months out there, uh, learning, as I said, how everything works in this. Well, ha- how the majority of things work in the sports industry, uh, and uh, you know, learned a hell of a lot in that three months. It's one of the craziest intros to entrepreneurism I've ever heard, <laughs> to be honest. And I've interviewed a few people, so it's you, you get that price for sure. And you said that you, you learned a lot about business, and yeah, for sure, no doubt. But you probably also learned a lot about yourself and about different cultures, because I, I have many friends from India, and I was there um, also for a wedding of a friend. And to be honest, yeah. it was such probably one of the craziest experiences in my life, because as Europeans, going to India, it, it's the way they live is so different, right? So what things did you learn also about culture and like about yourself uh, that you didn't know before? Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, looking back on it now, I, I didn't live the culture and all that kind of thing to the extent that I should, I, I mm. could have done or should have done. I was I was 16, I was pretty shy. I would go, go to the factory in the day and I'd go back to the hotel at night and have dinner right. at the hotel. So it wasn't like I was walking around the streets of, of Meerut eating street food and things like that, as I probably would do now, you know, a bit more confident. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I it was, a, it was a complete culture shock. It was uh, just just a fascinating, completely eye-opening experience. I yeah, kind of learned the importance of, you know, or, or how important the kind of like the caste system is in India still, um, which mm. almost was a shame. Um, I, you know, being quite young, the I, I struck up a bit of a friendship with the, the driver of the factory owner. So the factory right. owner, we're saying, is probably like 40 or 50. Um, and the, mm-hmm. the driver was probably in his early 20s. And I kind of struck up a friendship with him. And I right. remember him specifically asking me at the wedding we went to, because I didn't know anyone at the wedding. I knew the factory owner and I, and I knew and I knew the driver who had driven us there. And I remember standing with the driver at the wedding. And he basically, he said to me, you know, is it a problem you standing here with me? You know, like th- this never happens. Why are you standing here with me? Because um, he, the driver India, he was, that, yeah, he was, he was a bit confused about the whole situation. You know, he, for him, he was just the driver. He, if people come, and uh, he just drives people places. Um, yeah. People don't stand there socially at a Crazy. wedding and chat with him. Um, so I think that was that was probably the the moment that stood out culturally in, in India. Kind of how there is still that divide. Um, how did between that affect you? Um. I wanted to spend more time with him because I, you know, I wanted to show me that you're a, you're a human too, um, yeah. even if you are a driver. Um, but yeah, it made me made me realize how how different that area of the world is, and um, mm-hmm. that you know, I'm very very fortunate as well to to live in the UK where it is still pretty yeah. unequal. But um, I, I like to think that that we have a lot of opportunity here in the UK um, that probably yeah. don't exist out there. So yeah, that was. That was a real, real eye-opener and, and something wow. that, that stuck with me from that trip. Wow, what a great lesson to have as a, yeah. you know, a teenager. It's really cool. <laughs> so you, you went there, um, you learned 
I guess, a lot about cricket yeah. and about the business and building cricket bats and everything. Yeah. You yeah. return, and how do you apply that knowledge? I tried to start my own cricket brand um, in, in the UK, so I imported some of the stuff. When I was in the factory, I, I designed some sports equipment, um, some bats and, and gloves and pads, and I got those made. And when I came back to the UK, I kind of launched a cricket brand and... In the end, you know, I think I probably sold about 50 or 60 bats over the course of the year. Uh, it wasn't massively successful, but uh, it was, you know, an interesting time for me. I, I didn't have another job. I'd left school. All my, my other friends were at school, and I was I was working at Toys R Us, which is a toy shop here in the UK, um, doing the uh, carrying the boxes back and forth, as well as trying to to set up this this cricket back company um, in the background. And then ultimately, the, the cricket bat company, I kind of, I got some recognition within the industry because I was so young at the time. Mm -hmm. you know, I, uh, there was a, there was an article actually saying he was yeah. the, the youngest cricket bat maker in the UK. And yeah, um, as a result, uh, someone got in touch, um, or I, I got in touch, and they gave me the time of day, I should say. Um, a guy who was starting up a company, um, a cricket bat company here in the UK called Mongoose. Uh, Mongoose. If, if you're familiar with cricket, you'll know the brand. They yeah. launched in, they launched in India uh, and in the UK in 2009, and I worked on the the production, the design, uh, and the distribution of those cricket bats, along with basically the owner of Mongoose. Uh, well, I did that for for two years until the company went into administration. So again, that kind of taught a lesson of how not to run a company or do, how not to do some things in a company. It's a, it's something I look back on now. I realize how difficult running a product business, actually having a physical product is versus yeah, running a software. SaaS business. Yeah. Like software, software is beautiful. Like if, <laughs> if, if, so, if we, if a thousand people signed up tomorrow, we could handle it. Yeah. We might have to scale up some servers, but yeah, we can handle Nowadays, it. Nowadays it's easier than before for sure. With yeah, AWS yeah. and everything, but uh, yeah, yeah exactly. True. Whereas in, in, if you, if I think back to my days in cricket, um, and it's the same in fashion, it's the same with lots of clothing. You have to have, if you think about all the shapes and sizes people are, then you have children's sizes, and then you yeah, have left true. and right-handed. Before, to just launch a, a cricket product, you have to essentially have 100 products because you yeah. have to cover all of the, the requirements that people will have, and then you have to make your best mm -hmm. estimate of what will sell and what won't sell. True, and you can update it as well on the fly, right? I mean... A bat, yeah. once it's out, it's out. Uh, you cannot see, oh, actually, it doesn't work in high conditions or like hot conditions, whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was just an example. And, and software, you can always update it. And uh, and yeah, for sure, uh, in that regard, I, I totally agree with you. And, and you mentioned something interesting. You said that um, this piqued your interest for entrepreneurship, like yeah. working in this company, working with Mongoose. But I mean, to go at 16, just to learn about it and to drop school yeah. for that. This is you, your entrepreneurship, you know, vein and passion was there already. Why? It's like is your family, your friends, anyone like around you that you can look up to and say, okay, they are, it's working for them. How did that come? <laughs> not, not particularly. No, my parents both, uh, you know, have worked pretty, pretty standard jobs. They've never uh, run their own business uh, or anything like that. So it wasn't, I looked up to anyone. In particular, I, for me, I've looked at, I look at things and, and often there is a logical route that to everyone else seems illogical. Uh, and I look at the, the prime example being, 
if I want to learn about cricket bat making or if I want to make cricket bats, then mm-hmm. the logical route most people take, as I said, is going and learning woodworking, going and uh, doing sports science at university, going and getting a very entry-level yeah. job at, at a large true, brand. True, true, like true. That, that, to most people, is what seems logical. Whereas to me, at 16, and even now, I, I kind of have that slightly strange brain, which is the logical thing was, I want to make cricket bats, why not? go to where they make cricket bats yeah. um, uh, and i think that can be applied to, to a lot of things in life and, and i guess the, the entrepreneurship probably lived there the deep deep within i think there was also an air of arrogance as a 16 year old that, yeah. <laughs> that that you probably lose as you you uh yeah. you, you're a bit naive you aren't get... you when you are yeah for sure for sure but that's why parents are there somehow right I, not not why but i mean at least for me it's, <laughs> yeah I, I i i'm still puzzled about that because not only you went to india and then you returned and you dropped i guess high school was it yeah how did you convince your parents that this was the right approach so i actually i'm really really fortunate that i have the most supportive parents in that they have always said you know do what makes you happy yeah. and i know a lot of parents say that they say do what makes you happy but go to university and get your grades first yeah, yeah, my parents yeah. had always said as long as as long as you you the money that you spend is your own do what makes you happy you're young um you've got right. plenty of time to 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 kind of rectify any mistakes that you make healthy mindset yeah. and uh, yeah that i mean like my, my brother and sister are the same they're both quite um they could have been quite academic but my yeah my brother um, also left school at, at uh, kind of as early as possible. I think when he left, he mm-hmm. could only leave at 18. They changed the law here in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have been able to leave when I did if, if I'd been at school only two years later. Um, he left school to to go and join mm-hmm. the RAF, which he was passionate about, and and likewise my sister. Yeah, my parents have always said, do what makes me makes you happy and, yeah, and the rest yeah. will work out, which I know is, yeah, very, very fortunate to have. Yeah, and I, I mean, more and more, I I think that... Uh, the way education is organized is not up to date mm. and uh, as you say like people if they want to build uh, construct bats they they go through university they become a super expert in in the end they're actually no experts right because they never built the bat and yeah. you after yeah. three months you're already building building bats and you can learn so much and nowadays you have youtube and you can learn a lot especially in software you can learn a lot from uh, from uh, those platforms, yeah. But yeah. how do you think school should evolve? And I know this is a bit, you know, far away from entrepreneurship, but I find it super interesting. Yeah. How do you think school should evolve to to make things that, like you did, the norm and acceptable, more acceptable at least? Yeah, I think there has to be a move a move away from arbitrarily marking people's work. So uh, in the UK. Um, schools they get more funding depending on how well their their students succeed on a on an mm. exam that someone's written, and there's a real push to to make people exam ready rather than life ready. And I think schools, you know, we have to move move away from trying to analyze everything in the world and, mm-hmm. and mark and compare people. Uh, ultimately, people's journeys should be different, and uh, it, as much as we need doctors and um, people that need to be academic Lawyers, we need people yeah. that aren't aren't academic as well and yeah, yeah I, I think trying to mark everyone along that that same mm-hmm. kind of marking system it clearly doesn't work for a lot of people uh, and i know so many people 
don't enjoy school. So yeah. there has to be a move away again away from that. How that looks in practice, I have absolutely no idea. It's not yeah. something I've. Uh, it's it's far beyond the realms of my um, capabilities, and <laughs> it's not my expertise. You know, I, yeah. I I don't teach kids day in day out, so I'm, I'm sure a teacher would have a, a, a different opinion on what their what their children need. And I don't mm-hmm. will deal with children. I don't have children myself. So, yeah. but uh, my sense is that, that yeah, forcing people along these kind of marking systems and mm-hmm. getting people exam ready rather than life ready it, for me is the wrong yeah approach. totally agree i was having an interesting conversation with a friend of mine he's a musician uh, but he never really was able to make it as a musician and uh, even though he loves it and i think one of the main reasons and it's the same i think musicians and entrepreneurs are very similar uh, we both need marketing right and and marketing is something that is is not interested in and is not good in at so it's extremely hard for him to to succeed, even though he makes great music, because, I mean, no one is listening to it because he's not using the proper channels to distribute. So I was telling him that I think they should teach us marketing in school, like or ways to promote ourselves, because in the end, this is crucial for almost yep. every aspect of our lives. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think no, that no, this I, should be... I, uh, I mean, I don't know about teaching everyone to become marketers, because uh, it could, can be... There's enough marketers in the world as there stands. Yeah, not marketers, <laughs> but, but how to market but, like yourself, yeah. like how to yeah, like sell yourself agree. or your products. Yeah, I, th- I think knowing how to market yourself and knowing how to position yourself and uh, yeah, coming across well is something that you know there's just no one spends any time time on. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of time spent on school, uh, you know, learning pythagoras theorem and things that i haven't used since i walked out of that school when i was 16 yeah yeah i would love to see us or a school spend some time actually thinking about what what develops people for the real world and as you say uh, i think learning what goes into marketing um and the schools of selling yourself and finance financial skills yeah just pure life skills um you know for me, I would love to see, see to see more schools doing that for sure. Yeah, it, it really breaks my heart when I see like people that are really passionate about something that is more creative, not being able to live from it. It's something yeah. that I know it really, yeah. Uh, oh, it amazes me. I, yeah, I it, there's so many, so many talented musicians. You know, if I yeah. I go to various pubs and bars and you see these live bands, and you know, I've never been that talented about anything in my life, and they're yeah. there. You know, with five people watching them uh, and a man and his dog watching them, and it's just like crazy, right? You know, th- these people have so much skill. Uh, yeah, they they should be should be paid more, yeah. and they they should be shown or or helped uh, yeah. along that journey of of making something out of that passion. Yeah. Um, I mean, perhaps they are happy just playing at a pub. That might be their their aims. In in which case, crack on. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like we could do more to 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 show people how to make money and, and how to make a living out of, out of their real passions. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, going going back a little bit to our storyline, um, yep. we, we got a little bit carried away, but I think it's just really <laughs> cool to, to speak about all of this. You finished working for uh, Mongoose? Yeah, that was a tough time, I suppose. I, I was now at this stage, I mean, this was 2011, so I was 20, um, mm-hmm. and I was out of work without uh, any advanced qualifications and I was uh, a bit stuck really uh, this was the, and at that time you know when I was 20 I was you know have I made the wrong decision here um, yeah. you know, I've gone all in in cricket bats and actually I've seen it's a really really hard industry to crack 
uh, did I do the right thing? Should I have stuck around at school and done accountancy or something like that? It really crossed my mind. I, saw, I was six months unemployed, actually. How did you get, like overcome that? Like, Did you speak with people, with other entrepreneurs, your family? At the time, I spoke with my family. Um, kind of, you know, I was did the whole thing of applying to I I knew I really didn't want to go back to education. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't really for me. Um, mm -hmm. I spoke with my family. Uh, I spent a lot of time. Uh, with my 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 mum and dad were foster carers at the time, so I spent a lot of time with the kids, playing with the kids, mm -hmm. um, and just just realizing that you know there's there's more in life than just business. Uh, so yeah. that was that was valuable. That kept me going, and and I was kind of worked out. I moved back to my parents' home, which is about two hours away from London. So quite, mm -hmm. a, I would I don't want to say quiet, but certainly not a busy city. And mm -hmm. I realized okay. Um, after a few months, I realized that I really want to be back in London. There's just so much going on. That's where I want to be. So yeah. I had no real um, aim of what I wanted to do in life. Uh, I had, At that point, I was a bit like my, uh, yeah, I was just like, I just want to get back to, down to London, which I think gave me a focus. It was, okay, I'm going to be applying to jobs in London. Uh, I mm. think, you know, life becomes a lot easier when you have a, have a singular focus. Uh, and and that singular focus about three months into unemployment was I need to be back in London. So I applied to a wide raft of jobs. Actually, the job I found um, was at a startup, and I was very very fortunate. The the startup at the time had no money, so they the only place they advertised for their jobs was on Reddit and Gumtree, two places. <laughs> and uh, it was because of that I got the job. There would be no other. I I certainly was. I was underqualified for that job. It was as a web designer. Uh, I, right. uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I taught myself a bit of HTML. I'd known it from, you know, editing MySpace profiles and at Mongoose and uh, yeah. and the, the factory. You know, I'd done a little bit of web stuff, so I was at least, you know, an, enough to get through an interview. Mm -hmm. And you know, my my knowledge of design was at the time. I think it was a product called Fireworks, Macromedia Fireworks. Um, and then Dreamweaver for coding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is we're now talking about ten years ago. So tech moves on quickly. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. enough to, to it was enough to get me through an interview. I said the only reason I think I got that job was because they mm -hmm. advertised in places that no one applied, <laughs> and I was probably <laughs> the only applicant. But uh, were yeah, you was, trying to find jobs in software or any no, area? Any area. Uh, so I applied at the time. I applied to social media. Uh, law enforcement i yeah i said i just wanted to be back in london that was my focus uh, and i got offered it so i, I of course i took it and, and jumped yeah. at the chance and spent the two weeks before starting the job reading up as a, uh, yeah learning as much html as i could because uh, yeah. yeah no i was going to be thrown in on day one um and i was i was looking at dribble and places like that for inspiration of how people design i was like no way am i ever going to be able to design something that beautiful uh, but you know did my best, learned, learned the ins and outs of the software, uh, and yeah, turned up at that startup. Um, I think there were 14 people working there at the time. And yeah, turned up as, as kind of like the, the junior web designer. There was a senior in place as well. So yeah, we were there for, for I was there for five years exactly. And yeah. And yeah. Did they ever ask you, like, how did you get the job? <laughs> they didn't know and i don't think anyone actually ever asks that as long as you demonstrate i think everyone when they turn up at their, their job even if they're the most skilled person in the world always is a bit clueless so i managed yeah, to i think true. style it out i managed to style it out and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know i had some people there that uh, they saw i was young they saw i was willing to learn and 
they they spent time helping me as well. Fortunately, that was a grand company. So as I said, there's probably 15 people there max at the time. Mm-hmm. And when I left in five years after, there was probably 700. So Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was a. It's great. It really, it was a. It's a travel agency called Secret Escapes. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, I worked in the travel industry as well. I worked at Trivago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, uh, we were that. What were you doing at Trivago? Software development. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But so uh, but after that, I I worked in a, also a small startup uh, called Weekend. And, okay. Uh, was like. Uh, yeah, somehow I guess more like similar to to Secret Escapes. Like we would plan the whole weekend uh, with flight and hotel and everything, and people could just fi- uh, find like yeah. a dynamical in a dynamical way they could find yeah. uh, their weekends and everything. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so, so I was I was fortunate. I for for that singular focus of of finding any job, I, I was very very fortunate. I found one not only filled with great people, yeah. but actually turned out to be a pretty successful. Um, yeah pretty successful business and that uh, stood me in really good stead. they developed me as a person quite well mm-hmm. you know i started out in web design and then i showed interest for the conversion rate optimization a b testing the designer who i worked with was like a perfectionist and hated the idea mm-hmm. of a b testing he wanted his idea to be right whereas <laughs> i kind of i kind of welcomed it i was like okay well yeah. let's see what i users think i kind of I took a pragmatic attitude, I suppose, that, yeah. you know, my job is to design what the business and what the customers demand, not exactly. necessarily what's Not to be what's an beautiful. artist or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so that yeah. stood me in good stead. That kind of moved me into conversion rate optimization. Mm-hmm. Later, um, when they eventually created their product team, they moved me into the product team as a product manager. Mm-hmm. I, I did that for about 18 months or thereabouts. Oh. I can't even remember. Uh, before, before leaving to, to go and join the email octopus journey. When did you meet uh, your, I guess, co-founder, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, so actually Jonathan's Jonathan's brother, um, I knew from when I was making cricket bats, uh, of all okay. things. And yeah, Gareth shared his, his brother's project, um, Email Octopus. So, so Jonathan uh, built the initial version of Email Octopus. I looked at it and was like, okay, there could be something here. What was his first pitch, do you remember? Yeah, so Email Octopus's first pitch was... Um, Basically, it was it was email marketing for less uh, via Amazon SES, which is mm-hmm. um, kind of like Amazon's email product. And mm-hmm. the idea being that they make or, or Email Octopus made sending email as cheap as possible um, to the point where it was ridiculously cheap. I think it was forty two dollars a month for two hundred fifty thousand contacts at the time. So about, yeah. you know, I think we say about a hundred times cheaper than Mailchimp, and it wasn't far off. So that was the original pitch. Uh, I I looked at that, you know, I was secret escapes relied heavily on email marketing. Uh, Jonathan didn't have an email marketing background. He was a software developer. So I got in touch with with Gareth and and said, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not really enjoying my job at secret escapes. I had a boss I didn't like at the time. um, And she was due to come back from maternity leave in a month. (laughs) And I, again, that gave me a singular focus of, I really don't want to be here in a month's time. Yeah. And uh, I, just, I really think having that singular focus is so beneficial. It was like, okay, I need to get out of here. Did you have th- that single focus while working Secret Ex- Escapes too? At the time, I was, you know, I was happy to see where my career took me. So the big mm. career leaps I've taken when, you know, something's clicked inside my brain and there's been a, you know, I really need to focus here. The rest of my career has been, uh, right. you know, meandering along and seeing where things go. So when you're happy, you're happy, you just enjoy the journey. When you are unhappy, you f- focus in one single thing to, that you believe it will make you happier. 
Yeah, exactly that. I yeah, 100% that. So I I float along, see what life has to give me, um and do what I can and then something flicks the switch, whether that's yeah, yeah okay. said, whether that's a bad boss or yeah. or wanting to be in a different place in the world. And and that gives me that singular focus to make a change right. in my life. So your boss was about to return and you said, okay, my single focus now is to get out of here. Yeah, I could get out of here. Yeah, and uh, it put me off having a boss. So I was like, okay, yeah. can I, is there a way I can do this without having a boss? Jonathan at the time had, had started Email Octopus, but he was working full time on another project. He was working for uh, Coindesk, the Bitcoin blog. He was, oh, yeah. Uh, he was yeah, he was the, the head of tech there. Uh, so wow. he, he didn't really have time to, to spend on Email Octopus. So I basically pitched it to him and I said, okay, I think we've got, I think there could be something here. I think there's room in the market for there to be a cheaper alternative to the others. I know how important email marketing is because, you know, 80% of secret escape is revenue. Yeah. yeah came from email same marketing. with the weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, okay, uh, you know, I'll have bring a little bit of business knowledge, some design knowledge, mm-hmm. a little bit of everything. Um, and let's see what happens. Actually started off working with Jonathan on a, a kind of a contract basis so there was no formal agreement really beyond the fact that i would get uh 30 of any of any revenue that maloctor was made and uh, so that was, was the of, what was stated in the contract that you'd yeah, get 30 exactly. yeah exactly that was, no was, salary it, nothing right no no, no there was, was no salary there was no there, revenue there was being. there was no there was no salary there was a small amount of revenue at the time um maybe a thousand maybe uh, uh mrr this i mean email octopus had already been going for about a year and a half at that point i think mm. so yeah it was it, it was yeah i take a, a percentage 30 percent of, mm. of what it was uh, so i took uh, that percentage uh, and mm. uh, to alongside email octopus so i did email, email octopus two two or three days a week um depending on which week it was and then i did mm. consulting on the other remaining two to three days a week for, right. for other startups on com- conversion rate optimization so you know although it was a, a jump I guess to go into to entrepreneurship again and lose a salary, I kind of softened that blow by by consulting alongside it. You know that. Mm-hmm. So when I left Secret Escape, so I you know I had a salary hit because of it, but it wasn't mm-hmm. you know impossible. I had a I had rent to pay, and I still wanted to be in London. So yeah. um, that softened the blow and, and and lessened the risk. You know, as as much as these singular focuses I've had have have made me make big moves. As far as I've con- uh, concerned, they've always been pretty low risk moves because I've always mitigated okay. the risks by doing, you know, pretty sensible yeah. things. You know, making sure I've got enough money to go to India, making sure I had fun- contact phone numbers of people who who were in India, and then likewise with this, um, making sure that you know I had enough money coming in from the consulting gig mm-hmm. to to at least pay my my London rent and allow me to have you know a couple of nights out yeah. a month. Going to to the beginning of our conversation uh, about yep. my tweet, right when uh, when I said that if you're not making money, then maybe you should try a different project. Yeah. Maybe to give you a little bit of context, uh, for I was aiming that tweet for um, full time indie makers. They are trying to live okay. from their projects, right? So yep. that's kind of the people I, I focus more now in in helping and so on. I have a community and a bunch of yep. stuff around that, and. I do believe that there's a lot of people that like focus on a project for a long time because they think it will work out, but they're not making, like you said that you're making like 1000. That's already amazing <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they're like making like 50 bucks or like 10 bucks or something like this. 
Um, and for a long time, so of course that is, there's more nuances than just like just quit and try something else. But I think in general, a lot of people should try either to quit earlier or try to figure out why it's not working. Instead, they just keep on pushing. And I think the, the community around always gives this advice too much. Like just keep on pushing, it will work out. But that's, I hate that advice actually, because if you keep on pushing, doing the same thing, nothing most likely will change. No, I agree. I agree with keep on. If you keep on doing the same thing, nothing will change. But um, the thing I don't like about that advice is people. Uh, if if you give up after before you hit one k MRR and start a new project, um, you know what changes. The thing is, you get better. You learn your business by by doing different things. If you just continually launch new products, and this is why I don't like the 12 startup in 12 months kind of thing, mm-hmm. you just get good at launching. And, and what is launching? It's basically building a product in its most simplest form, sticking it on product hunt, and then rolling a dice and hoping that it succeeds. Right. That, you know, that's relatively easy to do. Uh, and it, there's no point just getting good at that. You have mm-hmm. to spend the time um, learning what else goes into a business, like the positioning the uh you know the, the actual marketing that goes into it how to create a compelling landing page mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff is which is way more important than just the launch and, and my concern is if if the advice is given to founders if you're not making 1k mrr on your on your first project that then abandon it and start you on uh, i think what you'd see or what you might what i'd expect to see is that they'll run into the problem with that next project a year down the line because they haven't under learned how to do the fundamentals that will turn a project right. from zero to, to 1K MRR. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you to, to some extent. Some people are going up a dark alley with their product. And I think this is why you kind of have to almost view uh, when you launch a new product, it's almost like an experiment and there should be a, a, a pass mark and there should be a, a point where you abandon it. Otherwise it turns into, you know, the sunken cost fallacy and you just pour, mm-hmm. pour time out for nothing. But uh, yeah, I, I don't particularly like the advice where where we advise where people move on, um, right? Because uh, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they'll just make the same mistakes again. If if you're not making one k MRR after eighteen months on the B two B project, I'd imagine mm. there's probably something wrong with uh, okay with something you're doing within mm. the project. Uh, and if you haven't identified what that is, then then you'll run into that mistakes again. So yeah, mm. my advice would always be. If you're not making one KMRR after after eighteen months or, or a year or however long, it is a concern, and you should seriously consider what you're doing. But I think that is likely going for outside advice, yeah, and and reaching out to people who have been on a very very similar journey and getting oh. outside advice before you just walk away from it. Yeah. Ask them, okay, you know, this is what I've been doing for whatever reasons it's not been working, and you know, I've seen some awful product ideas. Um, so mm-hmm. sometimes it is the product, <laughs> but a lot of the time it, it is how the product is positioned and how it is marketed. Yeah, because marketing, if you look right? at, if you look at email octopus, right, I, we've been doing this now for, for six or seven years. Uh, but the thing, the first email marketing company launched in 1997, um, or there, there are thereabouts. So we joined, we, we launched our, our product about 20 years after the first yeah, one. Yeah, so yeah. we were, we were, we were the last of the last movers, um, and there were people that launched before us who have failed, and there are people that have launched after us which have failed. Some of whom are, had a better product as well. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm not afraid to say it. That, yeah, uh, yeah. When we we launched around the same time as us, there were two companies um, 
that, that launched a very similar model to us um, using Amazon SES for, for their uh, email sending. Uh, and almost some of them went with a very, very similar tagline to us as well, but um, mm. they're not going and they're not going today. And I, you know, it's, it's not down to the product. It's not down to the, yeah. it's not down to actually what the product does. It's down to how it's positioned, how it's marketed. Mm. And uh, there's so yeah. many variables, right? I mean, that's what, something that I've also learning, right? I've been trying to do that for a year now. And in the yeah. beginning, when I first started, I was like, yeah, this is all about the product or center. There's this cult of the idea, you know, when you think, yeah, I have the best, idea so that's why i'll succeed but then there's as you mentioned like marketing i think it's much more important idea than being um like the emotional roller coaster that it is so you need to like be able to be well mentally as well as founder and everything so there's so many variables so i i totally agree with you and definitely the problem with twitter sometimes that it only allows a very limited amount of characters and you cannot specify the whole you know, advice, because I totally agree with you. I think uh, there's many variants. It, it, cannot, it just sells more as well when you tweet and you say, you know, <laughs> after a year, if it doesn't, if you don't have 1,000, then quit. Bam. So many yeah, I mean, we, would, we you... wouldn't be speaking if you hadn't have tweeted that. So, you know, it's, uh, exactly. it's, it's it, 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 it starts conversation. and But it can be dangerous. I agree with you. Yeah. It can be dangerous. And, you know, I, the only thing that scares me about any advice which is given to people on a do this or you'll, or you'll die kind of basis yeah. is, that, is that people do... People do make decisions based upon what they see on, on Twitter, you take it and I'd hate. Right? Yeah. yeah, I would hate for anyone to be like, "Oh, I've I've been doing this for eighteen months," and it, it could be an awesome product. It really, really could. You know, there's yeah. so many talented developers out there with great ideas. Um, they they just you know haven't put the whole package together, and, and I'd hate for the, those products to be abandoned. So for for email octopus, it took about five or four years from your first line of code to go full-time, what were you doing in between, in those four years? Uh... Yeah, so the first line of code was written in 2014, and I, it was probably closer to four years before we went full-time. So we set um, we set various kind of like points where we would go, go full-time, and that was, uh, I think, essentially when it could pay. Uh, our salaries at a mm-hmm. almost like a market rate so okay. what were we doing in between that um so jonathan he was working full-time at his his kind of coin coin mm-hmm. desk gig and he went and had a honest conversation with his manager being said i've got a project that's getting traction do you mind if i might spend some more time on it and he reduced his hours at work they were well willing to do that and he again did half and half part time. Um, you know, it's hard to find good people. And if the op- option is retaining them for a couple of days versus losing them completely, yeah. companies may may take that option. And I think you know that's certainly I'd push founders or people starting a bootstrap business. So you know, I'd push them to consider that as an option uh, or present it to their their managers mm-hmm. and their their current companies because you know it, it is something that I. If so, if one of our staff came to us and offered us that, we uh, or offered that proposal, you know, we we would consider it as well. So that's what Jonathan did, um, and yeah, I uh, I did the same. I was contracting, uh, mm-hmm. so I did, um, yeah, I was consulting on on A/B testing and and conversion rate optimization, and that kept me going, I suppose. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, it it wasn't too long. Um, yeah, looking back, it was probably yeah four 
four years or, or, or mm-hmm. thereabouts before going completely like yeah. full time. And I like the person. story, the story on how you went full time because uh, there was the time of, I guess Brexit, right? So yeah, found... yeah, Brexit, Brexit helped us go live. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so interesting. Can you tell that story as well? For whatever reason, um, I think just because it's the world's currency, we traded in uh, U.S. dollars, yeah, uh, or yeah. U.S. dollars was was the pricing that were uh, that was shown on site. But we clearly, as as Brits, um, pay our rent for our outgoings are in pounds. Yeah. So, you know, we were always like, oh, we're just a little bit further away from another thousand MRR and we'll go full time. Another thousand and we'll go full time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was all this Brexit stuff going on, and it was. Uh, it, we basically woke up one the morning after Brexit, and the pound had crashed twenty percent. So overnight, our our incoming had gone up twenty percent. So yeah. uh, suddenly, we could afford to pay each other. And we and we <laughs> weren't very full, we went full time pretty soon after. Um, it's, yeah, it's it completely incredible. changed everything here in the UK. That uh, you know Brexit, you know, people lost their jobs, uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, it was it, yeah. it was massively beneficial because yeah, the, the pound crashed and. And we made more money as a result in, in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. In times of crisis, there's always a lot of people that lose money and some that are able to make more money, right? So yeah. that's, I guess, yeah. the positive thing of uh, for certain people, right? Crisis. You get also with COVID, people selling masks, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. People... Well, and, 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 you know, the likes of Shopify and, and Co have yeah. really seen the, the boost from, or they that's did true. see a boost from, from COVID, although, you know, that's now Amazon, regressed right? back to the mean. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, there are always companies that, that are very very fortunate, uh, and we were, yeah, we were amazingly one of those companies. Yeah. Why did it take so like four years to reach the point where you could live from a, from a email yeah. octopus? So we were really cautious for one. Um, we were massive massively cautious. You know, I think if we look back, we could have made that jump years earlier. Um, but we, I think we were always worried that one day this Amazon might swallow us up or mm-hmm. a competitor might come on, take away all our market share. You know, we were quite new to the SaaS world. Now, even even three years, eight years, still relative babies because the first years had zero revenue mm-hmm. uh, and the the next two years, money's creeping up slowly, but you're also at the same time worried that someone might turn the lights off and suddenly your your revenue that was slowly going would, would completely disappear. Mm-hmm. So we would just, we were just super cautious. Looking back, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I think if we'd have gone, full-time earlier would have seen earlier growth and yeah. would be in it would be bigger than we are today but uh yeah at the time it was the, it was the low stress option but what was preventing you from growing faster it was like marketing acquiring users features that were missing what was preventing you uh well it was it was mainly a, um acquiring new customers i think that's always the thing that stops you from from growing mm-hmm. faster if mm-hmm. if we had gone full-time I'd have had more time to to spend on on the, the marketing. I'd have had more right. time to to spend on um, pricing as well. So mm-hmm. we were priced incredibly low. And if you if there is a, a mindset shift when you when your project's part time, you kind of undervalue your time a little bit as well mm-hmm. because uh, it's not bringing home the actual money that puts food on the table. So you're like, ah, oh, this is just beer money, or this this isn't the most. Yeah. If right. I make an extra, yeah, yeah, if yeah. I make an extra fifty quid a month, yeah, it's just an extra fifty quid to spend down the pub. Yeah. Kind of, it's a slight mindset shift. Mindset shift. So I think yeah. if we'd have gone full time earlier, you know, you begin to treat treat it as a as a real real business. Yeah. And, and okay, let's let's maximize what we're doing. 
and and likewise features you know our, our early version of email octopus was so so simple it mm-hmm. was literally just a a rich text editor that you upload a list um to an email marketing list and yeah. you upload your html or you edit in the rich text editor and you hit send it was it was that simple you know we didn't for the first year or, or maybe even longer actually maybe the first 15 months we didn't we didn't enforce on subscribe links or things like that you know um we didn't have custom fields so people couldn't personalize the first and last names we didn't have any automation functionality it was such a simple product um, it was cheap. There was the value differentiator, right? Well, that was that. Yeah, that was the only differentiator. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, there were there were there were there were companies that launched at a very similar time that had a more complete product than us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think by creating that more complete product, they had kind of mixed up their messaging a little bit. Mm-hmm. So they weren't competing on price or, or anything right. like that. They were just kind right. of like, "What? Who are these people?" Whereas. Uh, that you know, they would just say another person creating another email marketing platform. Mm-hmm. Whereas for us, at least, it our our incredibly simple product made that we had incredibly low simple pricing, uh, and that I guess cemented our positioning in the in the mm-hmm. market. You know, made it clear to to customers what they're getting. Yeah, we are the most yeah. affordable email marketing platform out there. And you know, even to the day, uh, we we still. You know, half the price of Mailchimp, um, mm-hmm. about two thirds of the price of MailerLite. So we are uh, still the the yeah. affordable, fully fledged email marketing platform, and that mm-hmm. kind of that sticks with you. You know, those those decisions you make in the early days, uh, you know, that we made back in 2017 to position ourselves on price. Yeah. You know, those blog posts that were created in 2017, although the people that used us in 2017, they still see us as as a very very low cost affordable email marketing mm-hmm. platform, and that still sticks with you to the day. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that helped. I think again, like making it clear what your offering is uh, was 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 key. Yeah, yeah. That's that's also a big issue I see often when you open a landing page and you see your set of marketing tools or all the marketing tools you'll need, and then that says nothing, right? Like, yeah. If you're a, if you're a target customer, you open that and you only have like five seconds to watch that page. You're like, yeah, what is this? And if you don't understand, you'll just, you know, bounce. Uh, yeah. Whereas if you exactly say, you know, upload your list, write your email, send, and people are like, yeah, yeah. that's what I need. Bam. That, that's, yeah, and, that's... and send it for, send it for you know, 10% of the price of the nearest exactly. competition. Yeah. It, it's obvious what they're getting. So, and that's what yeah. we did. We used Amazon SES to send emails. And I think some of our competitors launched that product thinking that that was the USP, that people wanted to send emails using Amazon SES. Right. Um, that for us, you know, was never really our unique selling point. Yeah, mm. That was just a means to an end. Our unique selling point was our price. It just mm. happened that at the time, the cheapest way for us to do it was to outsource email delivery to Amazon SES. What, what is the most successful marketing technique for you to acquire new new customers? Yeah, so our most successful one ever that we did um, was uh, was giving away free email templates. In the early days, people had to upload the HTML or use the rich text editor to kind mm-hmm. of create a plain mm-hmm. text email. We wanted to use a drag and drop, create a drag and drop editor, like pretty much all the email marketing platforms had at the time. In doing so, we were creating email templates and we had seen, I think about six months earlier, someone launched some email templates on, on Product Hunt, paid, and, and they got about a thousand upvotes and we were like, hang on, 
why don't we mm. give these email work templates away for free at the same time? We're building them anyway. Like they're not particularly the selling point of the platform. You know, the building blocks and being able to, to drag and drop the, the templates, uh, the, the blocks to create your own template mm-hmm. was um, was the real selling point. So it was like, okay, if we give these away for free, uh, the kind of people that if someone needs email templates, then the chances are they need an email marketing platform too, right? Right. If yeah, they need yeah, to send, yeah, they're going to send emails. So, um, yeah, we gave them away for free. And we had, the last time I looked, I think about 55,000 people downloaded those. And wow. um, obviously to download them, they had to give their email address. But so up until up until the GDPR came in, they had to give their email address um, to, yeah. to download. Now yeah. they don't have to give their email address um, to do so. But we asked them and asked that they can send up to them. But how do, did you activate them afterwards? You just send an email saying, hey, by the way, if you're interested in a product like this. Yeah, exactly. So we added them to an onboarding kind of list, drip feed list, and mm-hmm. um, spent time um, on that. So that was that was a really good way, uh, quite a low cost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, you think how much we spend on Google Ads these days. If you can just dedicate a little bit of dev resource to building out side projects that kind of complement your your main project and attract the same kind of customers then that's you know, it's worthwhile investment so that was good yeah, um very good strategy. and and then in the early days as uh, you know the website cora the yeah. question and answer yeah. website yeah mm-hmm. so uh, back in the back in the early days there were some good ways to, to use that so they used to have something called answer wikis so now you have to answer as a person below each so if someone writes a question on Cora saying mm-hmm. Can you recommend me an email marketing platform? I have to now respond and say, yeah, I recommend email octopus. Back in the early days, they used to have something called an answer wiki. So below every question was an answer, yeah. and anyone could enter, uh, edit the answer wiki. Uh, uh, and we just end, and we just kept on editing the answer wikis to add email octopus in. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and I, that, I love this growth yeah. growth hacks. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, that got us um, to a, a decent pull portion of our customers in the, in the early days and yeah. you know the nice thing of of running a product like email octopus is it, people are consistent constantly asking for recommendations on, on what email marketing products mm-hmm. should I use or yeah. And, yeah you know once you've got that um kind of ball rolling people begin to recommend you and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff as well so so yeah th- those those really kicked us off and those were in the early days that was kind of what took us to from 1k MRR mm-hmm. um, up to you know 30k. No, that's very smart. It's really smart, uh, and I, I totally agree. So, building other kind of free giveaway products around your target customers normally really really uh, helps grow. Yep. And, um, um Let's talk a little bit about your challenges. Uh, so, one of the biggest challenges I was reading in your blog post was people using your services to send a lot of spam and, and nasty things. Yeah. So the first question that came to my head were like, what kind of nasty things? <laughs> what is mm-hmm. like the worst they would send using your, your services? Which depends what, what way you sway politically. But um, there are, if you think about uh, particularly, you know, Donald Trump came to power right. in the late, yeah, you know, I can't even remember what it was. Um, but probably 2016, 2017. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. Anyway, um, the, the political landscape got very kind of split. And we we had some people that I, I think the majority of the 
the world would agree were quite uh, had gone too far, let's say politically. Yeah. And uh, w- yeah, we had some people like that using us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name drop names or anything like that, but uh, they, they would be they would be the people that if you've been on the internet, you, you'd recognise the names. And uh, yeah, mm. I think they've been deplatformed by pretty much every social media platform there is out there now. So uh, yeah, we had people like that using us. That's um, that's one that takes up the most brain power because you know I I think everyone wants to champion free speech and allow freedom of expression and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's about where where you draw that line. You know, is yeah, it yeah. is it at what point does it become hateful, racist, homophobic? Um, at what point do you try and you know subvert the election that happened in in america and do you try and organize a riot in the white house that kind of stuff so um that that takes a lot of brain power because it's not clear cut right spams spams clear cut um and if someone's sending emails that people haven't opted into we get so many complaints very very quickly from people being like Mm -hmm. i didn't opt in to receive these it's it's a clear cut decision the law is clear there it's on the other stuff that that takes a lot of brain power and i mean i'm glad i'm not Facebook or Twitter or one of these platforms where they get a lot of uh, lot of abuse uh, for, mm. for not clamping down on fake news. How do you manage that? Do you have to like manually analyze these messages? Uh, we manually approve every customer that uses email octopus. Mm. So okay. um, yeah, we I, I think the larger platforms. So so Mailchimp use like AI and um, look at the language used mm. in the text. There's you know if there's Bitcoin similar language used they'll just ban you straight out um, and they'll look at your metrics we're not quite that complex you know we haven't built out those tools yet um, so mm-hmm. a lot of it's manual you know these vice documentaries on youtube they're yeah. always like with the kind of taboo things taboo topics yeah. and one of the uh, documentaries was about people on facebook that uh, have to decide if something can be shared or not and yeah. they they are speaking about it and they're like yeah the things we see like they 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 ha- actually have like mental problems after that, uh, yeah, psychological problems. Yeah, thankfully we're not that bad. But yeah, I, yeah, 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 horrible. Was it the hardest, the hardest challenge while building uh, your business, or there were like other challenges that you had, like motivation wise, or things where you thought, okay, let's give up? It that was the hardest challenge in the early days, right? Because someone signs up, they're paying you five hundred dollars a month, but they are perhaps going on to a, an area of politics that is going to not be very appetizing. And that's then like, okay, do I, I have to balance the business risk of being associated with these people. You have to balance the moral argument of telling your girlfriend and your family yeah. that, yeah, we're sending emails out on this person's behalf. Plus the fact that you're going to make less money and, you know, in, a, in the early days, that money is going directly in your pocket yeah. and is used to pay your mortgage and rent. So that's, Difficult from three angles, uh, and and is the most difficult thing uh, or, that we came across um, in the early mm-hmm. days. Now it's a little bit easier, right? Because the, the business is is established. We we do over just two million these people. Yeah. yeah, so we do we do millions in in revenue, etc. So we can just you know what's five hundred dollars a month? It's it's not worth uh, yeah thinking about. But um, yeah, in in the early days that was really tough. It, now as as we grow, we I think you you do run into questions around motivation. Um, the, the, in the early days, the motivation was simple, right? Um, it's kind of like we need to survive. <laughs> we need to yeah. create. We need to, uh, 
company to build a business that uh, at least pays me more than my last job did. Um, as you, you never grow, questioned that you would be able to get there. You never thought like maybe it won't it won't ever grow more than X. No, I, I mean we we knew that the, the the business was growing, and we knew that there was a need for email marketing, and we knew that if a hundred people or or even ten people are using the product, then you know there's eight billion people in the world. Lots of them have a business or associated with the business. There's billions of businesses in the world. The, the chances are that if we can serve 10 businesses, there's probably another mm-hmm. 110 businesses we can serve. And so, no, we we never had those doubts. I don't think we ever doubted that. It was just a matter of time. Um, and, you know, things can be done to accelerate that. So, yeah, the motivation issues kind of come at a later stage of a business, at least for us. You know, once you've, once you've come across, once you've uh, gone through one data protection law change and you've built a business that is making predictable recurring revenue every month uh, and you know you it's it's very kind of financially rewarding uh, the, yeah the question around motivation is then like okay um what next you know do yeah. i want to hire more people well you know it's going to mean more problems in terms of hr problems and it might necessarily not necessarily reflect in the revenue um uh or you know are we happy running as it stands um yeah but i feel slightly unfulfilled in life maybe i should be doing more i see other companies growing a lot quicker and faster than us so that that brings doubts and then the other one is like oh should we sell it and then um you know well, what happens if we sell to the wrong partner um what happens to our team and then obviously there's like okay maybe we take on investment it's like well okay we're we're already profitable we're making money there's money in the bank we're not spending that so that's what what i don't like is you probably kind of gauged is is choice uh, choice mm. makes things difficult um choice means you have to weigh things up and you have to debate which route to go the choices come when you're a bigger business they they're mm. less apparent or they were less apparent for us certainly in the earlier stages because it was a, it was a the choice was either we build email octopus or we or we yeah. we don't pay our rent this month right either we get 100 customers in this year or we have to give it up um it it's kind of like that so isn't it so the yeah. same though now now you can also think we either sell it or we continue uh yeah but they they both two very attractive choices aren't they <laughs> it's uh, if your choices are either we fail or we succeed um everyone just wants to succeed you've got it's a very obvious choice um right now the choices for me are at least this is where i stand that, that, yeah, uh, yeah, or as yeah. we grow uh, uh, you know this is this is something that you know we run into i've, I've had friends who have businesses at some stage i think people do run into once you have those choices and none of them are unattractive choices they're all quite attractive um right now at least um you know i love turning up at even octopus every day and, and building out the product but um at the same same time going being on the front page of TechCrunch saying that we've just yeah. raised 10 million dollars uh, in an investment round we also quite attractive so there's a lot of it, because we are doing quite well um there's a lot of choice another option is of course to you know go more of the indie way where basically you try to automate as much as possible and then you don't want to grow but it's also kind of you have that steady MRR and then you can do other stuff 
Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you still don't have a boss, which was your goal, right? Like not having a boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still don't want a boss, and that's why you know that that is what makes selling unattractive, and that's what makes investment mm. unattractive. Um, yeah. But yeah, there, there's there's a lot to consider, and that's that for me is where the challenges now lie, um, I suppose, and that's what takes up the time and energy, and in in my head at least, and yeah. Jonathan and I spend time thinking about. Uh, very interesting because normally when people I interview here are more in the early stage and I never heard about that but of course it's a total valid challenge you know like you reach the yeah. point where you you have nailed it you have you have won the bootstrapping game you're making mm. money you're paying your salaries and everything you're growing and now what right like because it's also fun to you know when you're starting and trying to conquer the world and getting people yeah. to to like your product and use your product and uh, yeah we shouldn't be feeling this way <laughs> because we're, we're in a very very privileged situation mm. and, and believe me i'm not complaining about the situation we're being in at all yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just i'm just being yeah upfront and honest you know we're not like we're not elon musk who who started his companies with a real vision of of it we're gonna uh you know put people on the moon or anything like that like mm -hmm. in my octopus like a lot of indie business, I suppose, it was born out of, of us wanting to send emails out cheaply. Um, yeah. it, you know, we're not in love with email. We're not changing the world. Uh, you know, we've grown to love the business and we've grown to love the people within the business. Um, but yeah, because that we didn't have that clear cut vision, um, that's perhaps why we're, we're, we're running into what we are right yeah. now. No, definitely interesting, interesting challenge, and uh, thank you for sharing it also here with the with the wannabe entrepreneurs. That a lot of uh, us know that one day that's something to, to <laughs> something you know, to look forward to. Is it? It, yeah. it, it's, it sounds, to look forward to for sure. It sounds yeah. it sounds crazy me coming on a, on a podcast no, like this, speaking to one of the wanting to speak to one of the entrepreneurs, but um, and and saying that you know, <laughs> boo -hoo -hoo, look at me, but it's not that at all. But that that genuinely yeah. is is what takes takes up my time right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Very, very different challenges to, to what they'll be facing. Mm -hmm. Do you ever speak with other entrepreneurs in the same situation? Uh, so we probably the best thing we ever did as a business um, was when we first kind of started started working on email octopus and taking it seriously. Is we uh, shared an office with with two other very similar businesses who were about mm -hmm. a year on from us. Um, a company called Ticket Taylor and a company called PayHip. Mm -hmm. So Ticket Taylor is similar to Eventbrite, PayHip similar to Gumroad. So they've both kind of, you know, taken a, an established model and, you know, made it cheaper, easier um, mm -hmm. kind of thing. And we we shared an office with them in here in London. And that was so invaluable because for, for us, a lot of the challenges we had in the early days, and, and these are kind of like really, really boring challenges like tax compliance, finding an accountant and... Uh, you know where do we host our platform all that kind of stuff we we just spoke with them they'd already come across them and they're like, oh yeah we know this accountant they're great speak with them oh yeah this is what we're doing for vatmos okay and, and you know we some of the stuff we we pulled resource and you know i i became like the vatmos and gdpr expert of the office um mm -hmm. and then we had some of the other people we share the office with were like the the infrastructure nice experts. So yeah. that was that was in, invaluable, and mm. we you know we still speak on a day to day basis. In fact, I'm going out for for some dinner tonight with with Johnny from Ticket Taylor, um, who was you know they're probably still a year, maybe a year and a half ahead of us. They're very mm. very successful business, and 
and doing really, really well. So mm-hmm. we still speak and we still very, very open about our challenges. Uh, we still share uh, advice and things that have worked for us recently. Uh, we still call them growth hacks because that's what we yeah. called them in the early days. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you've got any new growth hacks for me? Um, so, yeah, we still speak. So I love doing that. That 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 was invaluable in the early days. And, and now because I do miss the building aspect, um, I try to spend some time speaking to to new entrepreneurs who are starting out who perhaps need that little bit of advice, whether it's yeah. tangible advice or just someone being like, yeah, press on, keep on going. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I dedicate at least an hour every week for, for that. So, um, Interesting. yeah, people, people can just, I've got a Calendly that's, that's accessible on the email Octopus website where anyone starting out a, a business can, can, uh, can come and speak to me. I might add you to our experts uh, page on the on the wannabe entrepreneur because I have a, a bunch of experts that the community can uh, uh, you know reach out to. So okay, this could be interesting because yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, still sounds crazy that... me being called an expert, but yeah, um, I hope to just yeah. try and lend lend the best advice I can, or or, or at least uh, yeah, sometimes it just helps talking through your problems with someone, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah sometimes it helps crystallize. Uh, you said you're making millions at the moment. So what are your numbers? Like, how big is your team at the moment? Yeah, so our team, we have four in customer support, and then we have um, two full-time developers, me and Jonathan. So in total, eight. Eight, um, okay. Yeah, eight. Uh, the, the biggest team is customer support, mm. um, because that's something we've tried to yeah. kind of... It's an easy way to differentiate yourself in the early days. So, um, yeah, they we've got 24-hour support, whereas a lot of our competitors don't, and, and it's not, you know stupid stupid money to do so um so we do that um and we are on about 2.2 million arr at the minute wow Wow. so yeah i think in total revenue since we've been going uh we've done about uh we've done over five million maybe getting towards six million now and um, those are those amazing numbers, you know, like that every bootstrapper dreams of. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we we we've done a, a a fair amount, and and yeah, the the nice thing with bootstrapping is, you know, the money, yeah, it kind of like snowballs, right? So, yeah, uh, I think it was back in twenty nineteen. I remember being delighted, um, crossing a million in in revenue, but uh, like total cumulative revenue. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and now only three years on, you know, we're now at a point where that's that's five, nearly six. So, yeah, yeah really, really, really strong numbers, and and numbers that yeah we're, we're proud of in their own yeah. way. That's amazing, um, Thomas. Thank you so much for your time. As as a last question, uh, yeah. since you also love to speak with wannabe entrepreneurs and give them advice, there's a lot of them listening to the to this podcast. What is the advice you'd give to someone? starting out so they they just want they have some side ide- side projects or they have some ideas they want to become you know bootstrappers indie makers what would be your advice yeah so my advice is always find similar entrepreneurs who are a a short way ahead of you so um if you are looking to get to a thousand in mrr find entrepreneurs who are a thousand two thousand in mrr and speak with them, find out what struggles they're going through, uh, find out how they've identified their market, find out what they're doing marketing-wise, and 
just surround yourself with people on a similar journey because it is a long journey. There are times where you will have elements of self-doubt and if you've got people just a tiny little bit ahead of you, it gives you that additional motivation to to keep on pressing on. So yeah, that would be it really. That's the best. Like I have to plug here the, the community <laughs> because that's that's exactly what the one of the entrepreneur yeah. space is for, you know? So yeah. we have like more than like 60 people and all in that similar phase and like some a little bit more advanced than the others and they're just like helping out each other and it's, it's yeah. actually amazing. It's the, so yeah, thank you so much, uh, Thomas, for uh, sharing your journey here with the uh, wannabe entrepreneurs. It was uh, really, really interesting to learn, you know, starting from going to India as, <laughs> yeah, as a, a teenage, yeah, do a you know designer and then a web designer and now uh, making millions. So yeah, really great story. So thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for your time and uh, speak to you soon. And that was my interview with Thomas. If you want to support this podcast, I don't do any advertisement. But there's many ways for you to make sure that this will continue to exist. First of all, you can become a member of the WB space. It costs 10 bucks per month and you get access to an amazing community filled with bootstrappers, all of us sharing our journey and building our projects together. Besides that, you can also acquire my bootstrappers guide. It costs $10. It's a one-time payment and you get an amazing guide that I derived from all the interviews I did on this podcast. Besides that, you also get one month access to the community. So it's a great deal and you just can find it on my website, wannabe-entrepreneur.com. You can also find merch, amazing t-shirts and cups and mugs and everything at uh, store.wannabe-entrepreneur.com. Besides that, obviously, sharing it around with your friends, your entrepreneur friends will take this podcast a long way. This was another Wannabe Entrepreneur. See you next time.